my my dad. So I remember when I first started talking about going into ministry, it took my father a lot of time. Um, took him years, actually, to believe that um, ministry for me was not a scam. Like he, he talked to me about this years later. He said, I watched you and I was just kind of waiting and I just I was just kind of waiting to see what scam were you playing? Um, because he thought he really thought that um, a lot of the TV preachers and those kind of people would take advantage of older people and take their money from them by asking for certain things and take their savings. And he thought organized religion was uh, a scam. And uh, it doesn't really help to be, I'll be honest, it doesn't really help when TV personalities like Jesse, whatever his name, Duplantis or whatever, um, asked for $54 million for a private jet this, this week. I mean, you, you read that, and I'm sorry, I, I don't really talk about other people, from, I hardly ever do this, but, you know, I, I, that's shocking to me. Give me a break. And then he says, well, if Jesus wasn't here, he wouldn't ride in a donkey if he were here in, two, in the 21st century. Hmm, kind of would, um, because theologically, uh, the times that Jesus rode a donkey, it was prophesied that he would, and so he wouldn't, didn't prophesy anything about a $54 million private jet that he would come in and, you know, land on, and, you know, we'd all have Palm Sunday. So, um so, you know, you, you, you can't, you have to be honest sometimes that there are people that are, are in leadership positions within the church who um, take advantage of people. They do. I mean, they, they, use, they use the congregation, they use people on TV, whatever, and they, and, they, and they take advantage. It's hard to say that they don't. But those people are not the rule. People love to grab hold of someone like Pastor Jesse, whatever his name is, and look at that plane he wants. And, and the last time I think I talked about it, it was somebody else wanted a private jet, and it was that week as well. I thought it was shocking that I was talking about this, and someone's asking for $54 million for a private jet. But those people are not the rule, okay? They're the exception. How many pastors are out there in, in small and medium-sized churches all around the country in rural areas and inner-city areas, and that's not the way they live their lives. They're sacrificial. These guys care. They impact people's lives every single day with the, with the little that they get sometimes from, from their congregation. So the question I have this morning is what is, you know, we, we think about that, okay, but then what is biblical stewardship? What is biblical? What does God expect of his people when it comes to giving? This is really important. And I don't and I'm and I'm not being funny here or sarcastic, but I don't talk about this enough. And the elders let me know it and the staff lets me know it sometimes and other people let me know it. Um, and the reason I hold back is because it's one of those subjects when you get new people coming in they're like, oh, they're going to talk about money. And um, but it's it really is important and to understand why God expects it of us. What does God expect of his people, his people? OK, not not everyone in the world, but his people, the people who claim to be his followers. What does he expect of us? So this morning I want to talk about a season of giving and really uh, why it's so important to our spiritual maturity. You cannot be spiritually mature if you don't get this one down. Okay, if you don't understand this theologically or biblically, um, what God expects of you, then you're not going to reach the spiritual maturity that he wants you to reach. Let me, let me start out by reading you a story. Years ago, Eileen writes, 
pastor noticed that a family standing in front of him in the New Orleans convenience store didn't have enough money to pay for the few items that they had. He tapped the man on the shoulder and said, please, you don't have to turn around, but accept this money. The man took the money without ever seeing the pastor. Nine years later, the pastor was invited to speak at a church in New Orleans. After the service, a man walked up to him and shared this story about how he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Several years ago, my wife and, and, and our child were destitute. We had lost everything. We had no jobs, no money, and we were living out of our car. We also lost all hope and agreed to a suicide pact, including our child. However, we decided first to give our son some food, so we drove to a convenience store to buy him some food and some milk. While we were standing in line at the store, we realized that we didn't have enough money to pay for the items. But the man behind us asked us to please take the money from his hand and not look at him. This man told us that Jesus loves you. We left the store, drove to our designated suicide site and wept for hours. We couldn't go through with it. And so we drove away. As we drove, we noticed a church with a sign out in front saying, Jesus loves you. We went to that church that very next Sunday, and both my wife and I were saved that day. He told the pastor then, when you began to speak this morning, I knew immediately that you were the man who gave us that money. How did he know? The pastor was from South Africa, and he had a very distinct voice, a very distinct accent. None of us would understand that here at Grace Chapel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He continued, your act of kindness was much more than a simple good deed. Three people are alive today because of your heart to give. And that kind of attitude is at the core of what I want to talk about this morning. So we we use the word stewardship, stewardship, right? We we throw that word around. So what does it mean? It means using God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained um, results. Okay, so you're, you're taking your, your it's, it's God-given abilities, and you're kind of managing God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. All right, that's important for us to understand what that word means. It's important because when we think of Stewardship, usually what we think is it's, it's my, and this is where if you're, if you're kind of new to your walk and your faith, it, it, this concept's very important. Because what most people, even older mature Christians think it's mine. This is my money, mine, and I give my resources to the church or to this group over here, to whatever it is, but I, it's, it's mine and I give my resources. So when we're thinking about resources, think about financial resources, giving money to your church is, uh, is not the only form of stewardship. It's just part of it. It's just a part of it. Because we think, when we think of stewardship of money, we, we think of giving. We only think of like giving resources or money. Another part of stewardship is when I, when I give my abilities I'm giving my abilities, but even giving my money and my abilities is still only, that's only a piece of the puzzle, if you will. So if stewardship is not about just giving what I can give and what I can do, then what is it about? I mean, what is it all about? 
If it's not just about, because if I'm giving, if I'm serving, right, and I'm doing my duty, and I'm giving my tithe and offerings, and I'm, I'm doing that, and if that's not what it's completely all about, then what is it really all about? Stewardship um, is really um, about the heart and the attitude behind the giving and serving. It's the heart that you, when you give, it's your heart. And it's really the attitude that I have or that you have when we give or when we serve. It's not about what you give or what you do for God. It's why you do it, why you give, why you serve. So it's the attitude, it's the heart, it's the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan um, to help us understand this, this heart behind stewardship. And we find that in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 10. There are three attitudes that I see in the parable of the Good Samaritan that will help us understand stewardship. Three attitudes, because like I said, it's really about the heart. It's really about the attitude. It's really about the why. Okay, so this parable, as we walk through it, will kind of give us three different perspectives um, that will help us. So the first attitude we find is what I call the thieves attitude. Okay, the thieves attitude. These people are like they take from life all they can get. These are takers. Any opportunity they have to take, they take. People who scam other people fall into this category. I don't care if they're on TV. I don't care if they're calling on the phone and trying to scam. Scammers fall into this category. Not just religious folks, okay? Not just just Christians or whatever or anybody else you could think of. I'm talking about whoever is more of a scammer. They fall into this category. It's really the attitude of the robbers um, who are on the road in the story that we're talking about. So in Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, it says, this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I think everyone here would recognize that this is the wrong attitude, right? Anybody surprised? This is the when you're when you're talking about your life. This is the wrong attitude that we, we have. A taking, it's it's scamming, it's stealing, it's robbing, it's whatever, and, and and not giving to anyone else. It's like the pirates of the Caribbean, right? Um, take what you can, give nothing back. That's their motto, right? This is these guys. Take what you can and give nothing back. So we would all agree that this is probably not the right attitude that we should have when we're living our lives, but. I also think that during, dur- during certain seasons of life, we can all act like thieves. During certain seasons, I'll raise my hand first. I came to Christ, um, I was 17 years old. I, I've t- I'm not going to get into the details, but I lived in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom in a very poor area of New York. We didn't have much. I literally had one pair of sneakers. I had, you know, sweatshirts for the three or four sweatshirts for the winter, three or four t-shirts for the summer, a couple pair of jeans. That's my wardrobe. Okay. So when I came to Christ um, in that season of my life, you know, I didn't even really think about giving, tithing. And when it came around, I just kind of was like, well, that's for those people because they have money. I don't have any money. I never had any money. But here's what happened. When I started getting some money, some money, I still felt like 
because I was oh, I grew up poor. I kind of was like, well, I got to save my money. I got to hold on to my money. I would, you know, what happens if I don't? And God, I won't get into it right now, but God taught me. I had a dream, and it was amazing. And God told me exactly what was going to happen. This dream it had happened. I kind of lost everything, and it was like this turning point where God said, "You got to learn this lesson here." And then, and but during that season of my life, I was like, "Hey, that's you know, I love what the church is doing. I love what I get out of it. I love, but I'm, I, it's not my place to give. I don't have what these other. I, I, the person next to me is loaded. Why would I he, that, let them do it? And I think during certain seasons of our lives, we all act like thieves. You know, we we don't think, well, I'll give according to what I have. I'll, it's, I I am a steward of what God has given me, so I'll give back according to what I have. But, we don't think that way when we become, we kind of act like thieves. And in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, God says this to Israel. Listen to this. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. That's why people give, so that we can give. Test me in this. This is the only time God says this in the Bible. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, real quick, I am not going to do what they do on television. You give a hundred bucks and God will give you a thousand. No, he won't. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. But maybe the blessing comes in another way. Maybe the blessing comes through having deep and meaningful relationships that you didn't have before. Maybe God blesses you because you overcome some habit or some hang up, whatever, that you've been struggling with. It doesn't always have to be monetary. And that's where these people, they start to, to me, it's kind of like, well, if you give a thousand, he'll give you ten thousand. I want to say to them, I have a great idea, buddy. Take all the money you stored up, that you've stored up, and, and give it someplace else. And God will ten times give you what you're asking for. You know, why, if it's good for the goose, why isn't it good for the gander kind of thing? The person asking for it. So I don't know how God's going to bless. He may open. I've, I've had people in the church say, oh my gosh, I started giving. And all of a sudden my life was blessed financially. It's been amazing. Okay, that's great. But other people, they give. They don't get the same blessing financially. They just keep going the way they were going. But God bless them here and bless them here. God promises to bless us. Open the floodgates. He's talking about finances here. But open the floodgates for us when it comes to his blessing. Now, some people sit here and say, well, yeah, but you, yeah, I know, I get you. But that was Old Testament. That was Old Testament. The tithe was commanded, um, you know, by the law. And listen, pastor, we're not under law. We're under grace. All right. So all this thing about tithe, we're under grace. That's true. Uh, but I, I, I really think that we need to focus on the attitude of our hearts. When we think that, we need to focus on the attitude of our hearts because that's what God is focused on. See, that's what God... We can, you can say that out loud and you can fake out the people around you, but the reality is God knows our hearts and that's what God is focused on, the attitude of our hearts. So we need to ask ourselves, are we robbing God with our attitude? You know what I mean? Hiding behind the fact that we're under the law, we're under grace. And you say, well, Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus and the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Let me tell you something about Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus talked more about money than anything else. Okay, listen, he talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Let that sink in for a second. 
Jesus Christ talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. 11 out of the 39 parables that Jesus taught had to do with finances. Why? Why was that important? Because the same reason it was important in the Old Testament, because Jesus knew it's an attitude of the heart. He knew my heart. Honestly, I don't have like spiritual dreams all the time. And but he knew my heart. He knew I needed to kind of let go. That was holding me back from growing spiritually. And so he did some things to me that kind of rocked me and allowed me to say, hey, I'm a steward of whatever you have, Lord. And from then on, I didn't have a problem with it. I just kept increasing, increasing, increasing because God knew it was an attitude of my heart. It's a heart attitude. And that's what Jesus recognized. That's why he talked about it so much, because he knew where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also Matthew six twenty one. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just a fact of life. I used to drive me crazy when I was in church and the person would say, if you want to know your priorities, just check your, just look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card. And I thought, nah, that's not true. That's not true. And yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. See, he doesn't need my money. He wants my heart. He wants, he wants my passion. And he wants, he wants you and I to appreciate who he is and what he has done. I want you to think about it. Why do you give a waiter or a waitress a tip at the restaurant? It's not a law. You don't have to do it. It actually bugs me when they put it on there without me allowing me to do it myself. But it's not a law. You do it because you appreciate what that person, the service that person provided, the way that person acted. You do it out of appreciation for him or her. It's why we love, all of us for the most part, love to give gifts to people that we love. We, we, we want to give those gifts to people to let them know how we feel about them, right? You give that gift. Christmas, honestly, at a certain age, tell me, do you really care what you get for Christmas? Right? What are you most excited about? The gift that you're giving the other. We well, can't wait to open my gift. I can't wait to open my gift. I can't wait to open. It's not like, oh, I can't wait to. What's in that big box, right? Does anybody do that anymore? You don't. Maybe a couple of you do, right? <laughs> you're that thievy kind. I'm just kidding. No, no. You, you know, it's it's no. It's oh, I can't wait to open that box for me because you want to tell them how you feel about them. It's not an obligation. Oh, it's Christmas. Here's your box. Ah, oh, just open it. Just open. You know, it's like just get through this. No, it's not an obligation. So when people, you know, sometimes you'll be around people that don't go to the church, whatever, don't go to church at all or whatever, and they say, you know, oh, I can't stand church, and those Christians always asking for money, whatever. You need to let them know that, listen, it's, it's, it's not an obligation. This is not required. Tithe is not required, if you will. Now, people would argue with me. I know, I know, it's, uh, I, I, we can have an argument over if it's still requirement under grace. Um, my attitude is always, if the Old Testament said 10% and the New Testament keeps saying, how much more should they who know Christ, blah, 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 blah. All right. So my attitude is that's a good starting place. Um, but how much more should we who know Christ kind of attitude? So either way, um, it's a hard issue. But we're not obligated, but it's important to us because if we truly, really love God, if we want to see his kingdom increase, if we want to see people's lives change, tithing is a powerful way of showing that. When, when, when we are able to accomplish things in the church that people on the outside of the church looking and going, that's cool. That's really some of the things I'm going to share with you at the end of the sermon. Hopefully you'll be able to share with people around you. And they're like, 
Oh, that's really cool. What church do you go to? Oh, man, I always wanted to get involved in something like that. That's why it's important, because it, 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 it expresses our love for God and how we want to impact the kingdom of God, how we want to impact other people's lives. Giving tells the world around us, tells our friends, it tells our family. Honestly, it tells our kids, really, it tells our kids where our priorities lay. Okay, where do our priorities lie? That, that's what it tells our children. Where are our priorities? We talk about having faith in Jesus Christ. And, and if we don't have the faith to give, that tells them a lot. We're basically putting our money where our mouth is. And I'm not saying that in an aggressive way, but that's what it does. It's putting our money where our mouth is. It's saying to our kids especially, this is important. We're training them to understand that giving and impacting other people's lives, caring about the people around us, not only in Africa or you know, some other place. We're going to Alaska in a couple of weeks. You know, We're going there to minister to people there, but right here in our own church. People say, well, we give so much around the world. We give more to the people within this body who need help than any place else in the world. Just so you know. I just can't get up here. Actually, I can in a couple of weeks share some things with you because they said we could. But I can't get up here and tell you this week we gave this and we did this and we did. We give, we give people homes. We give people cars. We give people resource, financial resources. We help pay for people's education to get them to the next level. We do all kinds of things, but I can't like show a video and make you know what I mean of the person. because We don't want to do that because they're right here in the midst of us. But we do that all the time. We do that all the time. It's putting our money where our mouth is. If we say that we love God and we want to build his kingdom and we want to impact people's lives, then giving is a reflection of that reality. When we give, it ref- it's a really a reflection of what's going on in our hearts, our true desire in our hearts. Because let's be honest, talk is cheap, right? We, talk, we can talk a good, you know, people sometimes talk a good game, but we need to live out. We, you, and I'm, I, I always talk to myself first. I need to live out what I say I believe. I need to live, I, there's a story I didn't ha- I, I just came to my mind, but one of my favorite stories about giving, this guy, this church was having a, like a campaign to maybe add, do an addition onto the building or something, and real sincere, and the pastor got up there and he was talking about, we can give and we can make such a difference, and one guy in the middle stood up, and he was a real well-known guy in the church. He was pretty wealthy, and, and uh, he very, actually he was very wealthy. And he told the story. He said, when I first started coming here, the pastor of that church, our church got up and said, you know, we need to give because we need to build this. We need to do that. And he said, I w- didn't have any money. I only had $25 in my, in my wallet, and I gave everything that I had. I gave my last $25. And he was, you know, and he was talking everything. And this older woman behind him pulled on his shirt a little bit and said, I dare you to do it again. I'll tell you what, I honestly, the first time I read that brought me to tears, challenged me personally, because I had done some things in the past that gave beyond what you would normally think kind of thing. And, and, and it was God, like God speaking to me saying, I dare you to do it again. That's the attitude of the heart. Let me, let me, uh, let me tell you an, uh, another story about someone who lives out their beliefs. I love this story. It, it, it kind of gets to the heart of what we're talking about. Kathy Poe and Esther Kim were best friends. They were also competing to represent the United States in Taekwondo in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Working through separate si- uh, sides of the draw, they both made it to the final of the Olympic trials. 
Whichever of them won would go to the Olympic Games. Poe, however, dislocated her knee in the previous match and couldn't compete. Then came an incredible act of friendship. Knowing her friend's knee would be healed by the games, Esther Kim forfeited the match of her spot and gave her spot on the Olympic team to her friend. She said this, you will have the gold medal around your neck and I will feel inside like I have a gold medal in my heart. There are other ways to be a champion. A real martial artist is a champion every day in life as well. That to me, there's the heart behind the sacrifice. That's what we're talking about. That's the kind of heart we're talking about, that we're willing to sacrifice what we have for the needs of others. When the world looks at us, I'm talking about us like as a church, maybe us as individuals. When the people around you look at you, what do they see? What do they see? Do they say talk or do they see action? Is it talk or is it action? The second attitude goes along with the first, and it's what, what I call uh, all talk and no action. It's the all talk and no action attitude. Verses 31 32 continues. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, the man who was robbed and beat up and everything, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus is telling a story and saying, these two highly religious guys, okay, walked right by this man. Like they were, these, were the, these were the guys who you would think that would, oh, oh, run right over to him. But Jesus said they walked right by, they passed him right by, the priest and the Levite. They were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the story, right? They're supposed to be the doers in the congregation. These are the people who have been, these guys were trained, they were specifically trained to serve God. But this guy seemed like he would be too much effort. They're walking down the road, guys like half dead, beaten, stripped naked, laying on the side of the road. A priest comes by and he, not, only did, not only they walk by him, they pass by. They go to the other side of the road. They go by so they don't even have to deal with it. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't really, you know, and they go around. They didn't even see him. But these are the ones who were trained and they do nothing. See, here's the thing. In order for them to help him, they would have to give something up. They'd have to give up their time. They'd have to give up their, their, their resources or their personal comfort. And to be really honest with you, um, they would have to give up, them, up something really important. And it was okay for them to do their... They were probably on their way, to be really honest with you, to do some religious stuff. They were busy. They were about to go in the synagogue or whatever else. So they had to carry something or do something and wave their smoke. Whatever they had to do. But they had to do some kind of religious stuff. And so they were too busy to stop and help this guy out. See, they were okay doing religious stuff. But when it came time to sacrifice, all bets were off. So it's okay to it's okay to walk through the motions. But when when God really challenges me personally to do something then it's like, well, let's not get carried away. It can't be, I can't come from God. He can't be asking me to do that. Uh, their attitude was, my time, my comfort is more valuable than this person's problems or their issues or their hurts. Or let's be really honest here. Their comfort and whatever they had to do was more important than this man's life. It was, they left him half dead. 
So what they, they basically passed by on the other side and thought, my, whatever I was going to have to give up that day, the sacrifice wasn't worth it. And they would r- rather let the man die than do that. I, I say all fluff and no stuff, man. They had no substance. There was no substance to their faith. The third attitude I call, consider others better than yourselves. Consider others more important than yourself. Um, I'll share with you, the attitude of this person is, I'll share with you regardless of what it costs me. I'm going to make sure that you have what you have regardless of what it costs me. In his book, Written in Blood, I was reading it, Robert Coleman tells the story of a little boy, I'm going to read this to you, whose sister needed a blood transfusion. She had a rare blood type which she shared with her little brother. The fact that he had recovered from the same disease two years earlier made the chances of success even greater for his sister. The doctor carefully explained all this to the little boy, pointing out that without the transfusion, transfusion, his sister would die. Would you be brave and give your blood to your sister? The doctor asked. You got to remember this little kid. Johnny hesitated. His lower lip began to tremble. Then he smiled and said, for my, yes, sure, for my sister. The two children were wheeled into the hospital room, Mary pale and thin, Johnny robust, robust and healthy. He smiled at his sister and then watched as the blood traveled out of his body down the clear plastic tube. Johnny's smile faded. And as he lay there feeling weak, he looked up at the doctor and said, Doctor, when do I die? When do I die? Johnny thought that giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. Yet because of his great love for her, he was prepared to pay that price. I think that's incredible. You know, as a little kid, the doctor thinks he's explaining it well enough. He wasn't, and the little boy thought he had to give up his life for his sister. But that's what we're talking about when we're talking about sacrifice. So then in verses 33 through 37, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, listen to what he did. He went and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The good Samaritan, listen to me, he was not trained in ministry. He most likely didn't have any more time, talents, or treasures than the other guys did. Matter of fact, he probably had less time and talents, if you will, in that area. If you, you know, and maybe he had less treasure, too. Maybe I, I'm not sure. But I'm sure he had other things to do that day. You think about it. I, I remember driving down um, when it was only two lanes. Driving down um, um, Western Road. That no, wasn't Western Road. Mason Montgomery Road. Um, and there was a woman on the side of the road, and she was pregnant, and she, had, she was holding two little kids, and her tire was flat. I was on my way to a junior high, to my junior high meeting. I was a youth pastor at someone's house. You don't let 40 junior hires or 50 junior hires run around someone's house without supervision. You know what I mean? But, so I was on my way there, and she was 5 o'clock. This is true. 5 o'clock or 5.30 in the afternoon um, at night, and it was getting dark, and it started snowing. So as I'm driving, and I'm driving past her, it's snowing on a pregnant mom with two kids. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm thinking, well, someone will stop, Lord. Someone will stop. 
because, you know, I was a pregnant woman on the side of the road with two kids and it's snowing. But no one was stopping. I was stopped at the light and I was waiting and no one was stopping. And I was going to go by because I was saying to the Lord, hey, I got to get to these junior hires. They're going to tear the place up. You know what I mean? I have ministry to do. I got to do my ministry. I was going by and it was like the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, stop your car. Get out of the car and go change that lady's tire. Well, if you know me, I'm not really good at changing anybody's tire either. So I was like the last person you want to stop and help you, okay? I have no skills in this whatsoever. But I couldn't let the lady just stand on the side of the road. So I pulled over and I got out and I did what I could and I undid the thing, you know, and I was late for the meeting. But my goodness, it's like, how can you just go... go? I had no more talents or, or abilities than every other person who was driving home from work and I was going to work. And God is calling on our hearts to be that kind of person. The Good Samaritan was not trained in ministry and again, most likely didn't have any more time, talent, and treasure than these other people. And I'm sure he had things to do that day. I'm sure he wasn't just walking down the road with nothing to do, but he was the only one who would stop and help. You know, I'll be honest with you. I've lived long enough to realize that when you're in trouble, um, most people don't step up and help. Whether it's a physical, if someone's getting physically attacked or, or something going on, I, I, I watch, have watched this all, all my life where people, most people will try to avoid the scenario or drive by or walk by or avoid it. I don't want to get involved. But that's not the attitude that God wants us to have. The attitude of a steward is not just financially giving, but it's giving of yourself. It's sacrificing of yourself. And it's doing it with the right attitude. It's doing it with the right heart. That's what God calls us to do. What made the difference between the Good Samaritan and the priest and the Levite? What what made the difference here? He had a different attitude. Was it inconvenient for him? Absolutely. Did it cost him financially to take care of this guy? From the beginning to the end, it cost him, but he was the only one willing to do it. He had a love for, the difference is he had a love for God, love for the person, and that took precedence. His attitude was what made this story worth telling. It was the attitude of the Good Samaritan that made the story even even worth talking about. So what kind of attitude should we have? If you want to answer the question in a way that builds the kingdom of God and that impacts the lives of other people, you need to be willing to sacrifice. Most people focus on themselves and on their own needs. And that's just honesty. Most people are really, they're myoptic. They focus on themselves and what their needs are. They believe everything that they have too belongs to them. That's part of the problem. That we have this mentality. That's one of, one of the things I wish we would wipe off our, the, the, our, the concept this morning is that what you have as a believer, if you're a believer, what you have actually belongs to you. It doesn't belong to you. A steward is someone who takes care of something for someone else. In this case, we are stewards of God and we are taking care of our bodies physically, our activities, our resources, our breath, everything that we do, say, think, belongs to God and he wants us to use those to impact the lives of others if you're a steward you don't own what you have if 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 I'm going to be a steward of God then I need to make sure in my mind that I realize I don't earn I don't own my time I don't 
own my talents. I don't own my money. I don't own my stuff, my resources, my possessions. I don't own my relationships. I don't own any of those things. They are his. They belong to him. And I manage them. I manage all of those things. They all belong to God. We are gods. We belong to God. We manage those things. So maybe people, maybe people like my dad, uh, maybe skeptics like my dad um, think the way they think because Christians live out their lives like everyone else, the, at least the people around him. I think our church is pretty mature and I think you guys are pretty amazing. That's why I enjoy giving these sermons because it's not like a, it's not like a tongue lashing or pointing fingers. It's more of a, okay, let's learn more about this, how we can grow and become more mature. But maybe people like my dad have been around people who just were scammers and taken advantage and, and the Christians that he interacted with live like everybody else in the world. You, you know, they don't see the good Samaritan, people like that don't see the good Samaritan willing to sacrifice, but religious people who only talk a good game. And that really turns people off. When you get, re- you get religious talking people who only kind of talk a good game, it really bothers those outside of the church. Or sometimes the church looks like a weak, apathetic, um, begging from the scraps off the table kind of organization, if you will. And it reflects not only on the Christians within that church, but also on God. I don't ever, I don't ever, I will never beg in this church. For anything I'll ask we'll talk about it I'll lay things out and give you I will give you and I mean this sincerely I'll give myself and I'll give you the privilege of participating in the amazing things that God is doing using his resources that he's given to you I will give you the privilege to think about yes this is somewhere I would like to put the resources that God has given me I want to give you that privilege See, God has thrown down the gauntlet to us when he said this. He said, test me. Remember, we read this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will, pre- I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And, and, and what will the result of all this giving be if we do that? Talking about the world and all the nations will call you blessed. And yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, if he promised, if he promised that good to those who were under the law, now think of this. How much more do you think he'll be faithful to those who are under his grace? Who do it not out of a, a moral, legal obligation under the law, but do it from the goodness and the sincerity of their hearts. How much more do you believe that God's going to honor that promise for those of us who honor it because of the hearts that we have for Him? Over the summer, I want to cast vision. This whole summer, okay, going into 2019, I want to start casting some vision for you. And uh, this morning, I want to lay out three things that we're going to do. Some of them you've heard about already, but I want to make sure you, you kind of, you know where we're going, you know where we are, and you know, that we're on the right path. The first one, okay, the first one is the, the stone house over here, that house that Jen and Drew live in. Jen, our worship leader, and Drew, her husband, they live there. They fixed that house up really nice. And then we were able to go down and uh, fix the basement. We got the whole thing waterproof. Now I've got people who are going to go down there and kind of help out and renovate that area. But here's what we're going to do. We want to use it for kids who are at-risk teenagers, who are 18 or over. So kids who are aging out of foster care, for example. We're going to finish. We're going to get that house all finished 
when Jen and Drew move out, we're going to start working. I'm already working with universities. I'm working with other churches downtown Cincinnati to find students who are at risk but have incredible potential to accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. Kids who've been through the ringer but still are trying their best to accomplish the, the life that God has for them. So we're going to use that house for aging out foster care or kids that are at risk. We already have some students maybe within our own church who fall into that category, just at risk, and they need a little extra help. They've exceeded, they've excelled, and they just need a hand up. They don't need a hand out, they just need a hand up. So we're going to turn that into a house and for aging out. Now, Mike Smith is going to lead the charge, if you will, on finishing off the basement um, it costs about $15,000 to finish off that basement to get it waterproof. So we're, that's already done. Now we need to finish it off because we have three stories that, is u- that are usable for these, for these girls. We're going to start with girls and we're going to work with these kids. So that's one thing we're going to do. Okay, that's something that we really feel called of God to do and that we're going to do. And many of you, um, if you're interested in helping, I need a team of people who are going to start putting this together, the structure together. I can help give you materials and everything, but start putting the structure together. These will not be children. These will be adults, 18 or over. So we don't have to worry about the minors type of thing. All right. But it's cool because we're going to either help them go through college and I'm I'm talking to universities or we're going to help them find a really good paying job. We have a a jobs training program over in the Orca Center called Jobs Plus. We're going to work with them and get these girls or whoever they're trained. Or what I really want to do is I want to I want to accelerate a business. I'm going to try to find we're going to try to find entrepreneurial kind of kids. And then we're going to use the Orca Center and we're going to accelerate their business. We're at about 90 percent success rate and accelerating new businesses with entrepreneurs. So we're I would say that we're experts at this at this point. So the girl can maybe come in. She's got a fantastic idea. We can, we can get her the resources. We can help her put a business plan together. We can help her start her own business. That's one of the things that we want to do. So either get them a good paying job, get them into college, um, and I'm trying to do it for free, or help them um, start their own business. Next thing I want to talk about is we want to build a facility for kids with disabilities at Wilderness Ridge Camp. You know, the kids with disabilities, we have like we have like hundreds of people over here and we do our Easter egg, you know, for disability kids with disabilities. We have hundreds of people over there. And so there's a family in our church that is willing to kind of take this on and spearhead it. So we're going to try to build a facility for kids who are um, who are um, having some issues and and give them opportunity to go to camp as well. So we're going to build a facility for kids with disabilities up at Wilderness Ridge Camp. And if you'd like to hear more about that, I can talk to you about that because we have a couple in our church that is really spearheading that effort. Last, okay, I'm going to show you some pictures. So this is up at Wilderness Ridge. We, this is the bridge that uh, Kevin and his crew, his team built, that leads over to our African village. We've literally built an African village up in the woods at Wilderness Ridge about 45, 50 minutes away. That's an amazing bridge. That's like 80 feet long. It's, uh, they, were, they were so happy that we built that. But that leads to the African village. So here's the African village. We're building that out. That's where we can like, have a place we can sell things. That's where you cook and people can eat. Um, right there. See, she's working. And then we start, we built these uh, different little huts, if you will, that people can sleep in. So it's little like going out and we're going to act like we're out in Africa and, and give people an opportunity to, to feel what it's like to be in an African village, but only be 45 minutes away from home. So what we need are a couple of things. I need you to be thinking about this too. We need staff. 
And what I thought we could do is maybe combine a couple of things. One would be um, a person who could live in the house, a couple or maybe some two, two, uh, it has to be women, uh, two single women could live over in the house and just be mentors, disciplers, um, and just invest in these girls' lives so they're not by themselves. They have house parents, if you will. And that person may also be able to help run the African village. So, because we want to get more groups up there and have this experience on a regular basis. In order to do that, we need to have staff. So that, that, those couple, that couple or individual singles, they can, they can live in the house for free. We give them free food. We give them no, no, no expenses whatsoever. And then they raise part of their support. So we're looking for people to actually do that, okay, to be able to, to raise support and take on some of these tasks. There are only three, and I have a lot more things I'm going to share with you, okay, over, the, over this summer. But those are only three things. And here's the thing. We can accomplish everything that God has called us to accomplish. We are going to do what I just described to you. The three things I just described to you, we are going to do them. And I'm asking if you'd like to participate in those activities or what God has called us to do. We can accomplish everything I'm going to talk about this summer. We can accomplish all of it, okay? And what an incredible way for you to reach out to people in your, in your neighborhood to say, here are the things that our church is doing. And they're saying, what on earth? How can you guys pull that kind of stuff off? They want to be a part, they'll want to be a part of that, giving of their time. They'll want to be a part of finding out what kind of a church would do those kinds of things. And we can do it all. We can accomplish all of it if we live like stewards. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you so much for this time. God, I am so excited, so excited about what you're doing in this church. I am so excited for the things that we're going to be able to accomplish. God, I look back and the things that we said we were going to take on and people just laughed. I'm not laughing anymore. And now we're looking forward and saying, these are the things we're going to do in the future. And people will still probably laugh a little bit. But Lord, it's just a fact waiting to happen. These are all just facts waiting to happen because you are an awesome God and you have surrounded us in this church with awesome people, with great and incredible gifts and talents, Lord God. And we will accomplish, we will, Lord, we will accomplish all of the vision that you lay upon our hearts. We'll do everything you've called us to do. And if we have to sacrifice, we'll sacrifice, Lord God, but we will do everything you have called us to do. And Lord, my prayer, my prayer this morning is that every single person in the church, youngest to the oldest, All of us will participate so that we we can feel like we had a part in impacting and transforming the lives of others. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Have a great, great week.